Welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast, providing you with insightful commentary and developments in the world of healthcare leadership. To learn more, visit ACHE.org. And without further ado, your host. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Our guest today is Delvecchio Finley, president of Atrium Health Navicent in Macon, Georgia. Previously, Delvecchio held executive roles with Alameda Health System, LA County, Harbor UCLA Medical Center, California Pacific Medical Center, and Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital and Trauma Center, among several others. In March, he was named to the 2023-2024 Chair of the ACHE Board of Governors. He has a long history of volunteer service, including the American Hospital Association, the California Hospital Association, the Georgia Hospital Association, the Georgia Chamber of Commerce, the California Association of Public Hospitals, and the Essential Hospitals Institute. He is also the recipient of numerous awards and commendations. In 2015, Modern Healthcare recognized him through its up-and-comers program, and in 2016, named him one of its diversity leaders to watch. He was also named in 2015 to Becker's Hospital Review's Top 25 Healthcare Leaders Under 40 list. And in 2021, Modern Healthcare recognized him again, naming him one of the top 25 diversity leaders in healthcare. In 2022, he was included on Georgia Trends Magazine, Georgia 500, list of the state's most influential leaders. Davecchio earned a Master of Public Policy from Duke University's Sanford Institute of Public Policy, a bachelor's degree in chemistry from Emory University, and a graduate certificate in health policy, law, and management from Duke University. And he is, of course, board certified as a fellow of ACHE. You can read more about his background in his profile on ACHE.org. With that introduction, Delvecchio, welcome to the Healthcare Executive Podcast. Such an honor to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. All right. First and foremost, congratulations on your role as chair of the ACHE Board of Governors. So if you don't mind, would you share with us a little bit about your career journey? Really, what attracted you to the healthcare field? Sure, Eric. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and and obviously uh, your listeners or our members uh, who are uh, joining us on the podcast. Uh, my my professional background uh, began in in the Bay Area. I'm originally uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, born and raised, uh, but uh, uh, got bit by this thing called love. And my mm-hmm. wife was uh, going to law school out in the West Coast, and uh, so off we went. And I spent the earlier part of my my formative years of my career working in various organizations and institutions. Across across uh, the Bay Area, uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, working for some physician practice uh, management, uh, working in the Department of Public Health in San Francisco, uh, moving over to the university and working at the Safety Net Hospital, uh, San Francisco General, and then uh, several other organizations, uh, Sutter Health, and down to Los Angeles County, and then back up to Alameda County, now to where I am back home in the state of Georgia uh, as a leader for the um, the, the Central and South Georgia market of uh, uh, now Advocate Health, formerly Atrium Health, uh, uh, a, a growing organization that now covers uh, uh, service communities throughout its Illinois, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. So it's been a great, great uh, career journey, and I feel incredibly fortunate to be in this role. So on that journey, let's talk about ACHE and the membership, how and the board certification, how has that helped you along the way? Yeah, yeah, it's been uh, so many ways. Uh, I would say too numerous to enumerate, but I'll, I'll I'll point out three that that, that come to mind for me. I mean, certainly uh, we we have, and it has been since uh, 
uh, our founding a commitment to what we call lifelong learning and and uh, ACHE and all of its tools and obviously the credentialing program uh, facilitates and has facilitated for me the a platform for continuous learning and development you know knowledge uh, uh, and expertise uh, with which to apply to my role all the various roles that I've had the privilege of serving in so I think uh, that that has been probably for, foremost uh, uh, one of the, the the benefits that I've had the second one is uh, uh, like kind of a, an adjunct to that, it's access to uh, a network of experts and expertise, you know, the educators for all of our different uh, seminars and uh, uh, virtual learning now and all those other things I have just been uh, really, you know, the tools, the books and uh, uh, virtual tools that we have have been incredibly great. But even more importantly, I would say uh, the network of colleagues, you know, people who are near and far, sometimes they're in your organization, sometimes they're directly adjacent in a geographic area, but sometimes they're people all over the country and, and in some cases the world. Uh, who you can call upon because we're in this profession that is so committed to helping one another and, and, and you know, wanting all of us to be the best for the communities we serve, even sometimes when we have competitive dynamics. So that's just been absolutely amazing. And then finally, I would say, and it's one that's fuel, that fuels the first two opportunities to serve, uh, to serve uh, our, our membership and to help other people who are, you know, similarly uh, passionate about uh, helping communities and organizations to advance healthcare and health, uh, but then to grow through that service. And, and I think the more I, I was fond of saying it when I would visit student chapters for ACAG and, and, you know, now that I'm visiting other chapters, I tell you, say to people, it's like, uh, so much in life, you know, you get out of it uh, as much, if not more, than you put into it. So there's a definitely good kind of return, if you will, on uh, increasing investment when you uh, become a uh, not just a member of ACHG, a fellow in ACHG, and a volunteer leader in ACHG. All of those things really have a, a multiplier effect on how it can advance your knowledge and your access to experts and, you know, network that can help you to be the best you can be. And you were just talking about your network there, um, impressive network of colleagues, and something we like to talk a lot about on the Healthcare Executive Podcast is DEI in leadership. Um, so from your experiences, what you've heard from those colleagues, what are some of the biggest barriers that we're still facing to diverse leaders moving into the senior level C-suite management positions? Yeah, it's, a, it's such a great question, and it's, it's one that I... I um, one to grapple with myself a fair amount, uh, certainly from my own experience as a uh, African American male who has uh, gone up through my own professional experience, but 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 also uh, others, uh, both in organizations I've worked with, but also you know, just through that network we mentioned. Uh, I, was, I just happened about a week ago to be at. Uh, uh, the um, the Institute for Diversity and Health Equities uh, Accelerating Health Equity Conference and uh, sat on a panel and uh, it was yet another opportunity to think about this. And I looked up the definition for diversity and one of the Oxford uh, definitions of it is the practice or quality of including or involving people from a range of different social and ethnic backgrounds and of different genders, sexual orientations, et cetera. So it's, it, it's interesting that the, the noun actually acknowledged the, prep, uh, the practice of including people. So, so when you talk about what are some of those barriers to diverse leaders uh, uh, being able, of all those ilks, right? Uh, race, ethnicity, uh, sexual orientation, uh, gender, uh, so on and so forth, uh, being able to advance their career in healthcare leadership. Uh, it's the actual 
the barriers are often uh, uh, things like not seeing it as a feasible thing within their organization. Uh, it could be as a, a unit of the organization, a department or division, a geographic region of the organization, or the organization writ large. And that's often manifest in, do you see people or over the arc of the history of that organization, people who reflect you, who look like you, who maybe have the same cultural background as you or came from the same part of the country as you or their same gender as you, and you see them kind of uh, uh, showing you that example of what's possible as a means of saying that that's something that not only is possible in the organization, but the organization embraces it and, and, and facilitates it. Uh, the other thing is a lack of acknowledgement, uh, oftentimes, I think, in, in many of our organizations of the current state, or even an expressed desire, uh, commitment or intentional efforts at diversity, that, that noun, uh, and I would say the verb of diversity to the actions. And then even worse, uh, I would say one of those barriers is uh, failed attempts uh, that people see, visceral uh, efforts, uh, even that thwart accountability to change the status quo. I, mean, um, I think it's Newton's law that an object in motion stays in motion unless it's interrupted by uh, uh, an equal and opposite force, right? So when you have organizations that have a trajectory that may be structural, historical, what have you, Anything that's uh, um, uh, desirous of changing that means that you either have to do something different or you have to state something different or or approach things differently. And I think that's these things can become uh, and are real barriers to diverse leaders uh, being able to fully uh, bring the value of what they have to bring, uh, which is very rich to organizations. And unfortunately, I think uh, oftentimes organizations, uh, whether we're talking about the governance level or leadership level or other parts of the organizations, suffer because... Uh, or are not as effective as they can be because we uh, have in some ways minimized the impact that uh, certain segments of our population and our uh, workforce uh, are, are able to optimize their value to the organization. And I heard you touch on it a little bit there, but what's your advice? What can organizations do to remove some of those barriers? And obviously there are different scenarios in different parts of the country, um, mm -hmm. you know, different challenges, but maybe, and you mentioned, you know, some of these that are already in motion and you've established things, but what are some of those uh, with our audience of C-suite executives and administrators listening? What, what are some of those, those things that organizations can do to remove some of those barriers? Yeah, no, I, I think the biggest thing is is intentionality. I think it's like anything else, whether we're talking about diversity or we're talking about improving quality, we're talking about, you know, any other sort of opportunity that we think stands between us and fulfilling our mission for the organization, first and foremost, but also the vision for what we believe that uh, the organization can uh, be or become. Uh, takes an intentional effort or set of efforts to actually manifest it. And so if DEI is something that organizations are about and not just saying, you know, nice to do, oh, it'd be great if it happens, but I don't really, you know, want to do anything about it, uh, uh, then you're probably going to get the results that you have. But if you are serious about it, uh, uh, you have to be intentional and it's uh, it's walking the walk, it's talking the talk, uh, lifting it up and making it um, as much the individual, I would say, as much, but I would think more the organizational, uh, the organization's responsibility than the individuals. And so you're setting in place the processes and, and outcome goals uh, uh, that you want uh, to achieve. Um, uh, it can be very evidence-based. Uh, there's plenty of tools and a lot of uh, knowledge over the uh, uh, last several decades, uh, if not longer, uh, that uh, uh, forward thinking and uh, more um, accelerated organizations in this space have done uh, for us to learn. So it's not even about reinventing the will. It's really just about 
going out and, and talking to the people who developed the will and saying, how do I do that in this context and applying it in a way, not just, just cookie cutter, uh, because as you mentioned, Eric, and I agree, uh, uh, everybody's circumstances are different, you know, whether it's the makeup of your community uh, uh, being different, not just about gender, but ethnicity, or if it's about socioeconomic uh, status or any of those things. And so you've got to not just take something off the shelf or check boxes, but you've got to say, is this really a, 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 again, a variable, a, 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 um, a situation that's uh, uh, a barrier to me achieving uh, the, the vision and value of the, or vision and goals of the organization. And if so, then I've got to actually have a set of, of activities, actions that are measurable and have a, a defined uh, goal uh, that can evolve, but that I'm going to go at, I'm going to get at it. And I think that's really what organizations uh, who have been successful and continue to experience success about this uh, in this space are doing. And I think that's what others uh, would have to do as well. Some great advice and great action items there uh, that you laid out for us. Another challenge a lot of our listeners are facing, healthcare leaders, uh, burnout at all levels. Uh, yeah. You've spoken, you've written about how a purpose-driven mindset can help us get through some of these tough times. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, this is, it's been interesting because if, if, if burnout existed, this is like so many other things uh, in terms of challenges that we face, but it existed well before the pandemic, but certainly uh, was put on hyperdrive uh, during that and for some very, very obvious reasons. Um, and I think as a kind of a, a uh, sort of almost visceral reaction to uh, the burnout uh, that we're experiencing in the face of the challenges that we're facing, we started really lifting up in some ways appropriately so, acknowledging the resilience of individuals who uh, were experiencing that burnout, but still persevering in the face of it. And in some ways, that was good, but very short-lived because resilience is a good thing and certainly uh, is um, a uh, um, an outcome or a byproduct of something else. And I think we sort of started to see resilience as the the object, like the thing that people had to do. It's almost like, I, I see it as tantamount to, do uh, you have someone who's going through uh, depression? There's some commercials that look at it and they're like, oh, well, you just need to not be depressed, right? It's just, just be happy, right? That's the end of it. <laughs> it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And, and, and you, you appear a little bit sort of uh, flippant and shallow when you're like, good for you, you're resilient. Like, and now take on even more, right? So, so to me it came back to well what is the what's the what's the source of resilience right what really gets uh people to be able to do more uh than what would otherwise be uh, uh feasible or expected in a circumstance and that gets to purpose like your why what drives you what motivates you and i think in healthcare we have the real strong fortune of knowing that this is a service-based uh, sector and whether you're in a clinical role or non-clinical role Everybody you talk to in healthcare says, I was driven to this because I wanted to do something that was about helping others, right? Very little about helping self. All of that's a component of it. It's about helping others. And so as we get to, you know, uh, symptoms and increasing symptoms of burnout, what we find is people have like detached from that why. Uh, something about either the work that we're expecting them to do or the circumstances we're expecting them to endure has detached them from what was the thing that was driving them. It's almost like, you know, taking a, a battery operated device off of a charger for a long period of time and saying, Hey, but you gotta, you gotta, you know, go nonstop, you know, almost like you're on a solar sort of thing. You have to be recharged, just like a battery, just like a device. At some point, you gotta be recharged. And it would be nice if that uh, charging and 
and use of charge, or you will, uh, you know, the expenditure of the charge of energy was it was more organic. And that's where purpose comes in. Purpose is that charge. So you got to keep connected to the purpose. And that's when people see that resilience that people are talking about is when you stay connected to your, your purpose. And so for me, uh, um, personally, I would say, uh, uh, but also through leading teams, what I really try to do my best in terms of modeling, but also uh, uh, trying to help people do is say, remember why you got into this. And let's make sure that as you progress in your own career or as circumstances evolve, that why can also evolve, but you need that why. To me, it's very important to have that why so that it's it's that charging thing you keep plugging into. And so that's why I think purpose is so important. Uh, um, and, and we kind of saw the outcome as resilience and thought that that was the goal or, or really purpose is the goal. Resilience is the outcome. Mm, I think there are a lot of people either listening to this in their car or, or at work and they're just, they're inspired right now. And so what are some of those things that, that the advice you might have for the emerging leader who's listening to you right now going, you know what? I think I can be CEO of a hospital one day. And I just, I like, I like the way you're phrasing things and I resonate with that and it's helping people. Um, anything that you credit for your professional growth, a who or a what maybe? Mm, um, a lot, man, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Many it's not a one word answer. Yeah. I, no, no. Um, you know, a lot of people know about my background. I was raised by single mom in public housing and, uh, not a lot of resources, uh, um, kind of organically at my disposal, but was just incredibly blessed to have so many people who saw potential in me and helped me to manifest that. So so even before getting to the professional stage, again, I'd just be remiss if I didn't acknowledge all those people. I always have to get back to that. Uh, but for me, then that means, you know, I get to the uh, the adage or parable to whom much is given, much is required. And so that connection is definitely there. Uh, in terms of specific things, I mean, uh, let's just leave with the obvious. ACHE um, from a professional uh, uh, context has been, as I mentioned earlier, a source of a lot of that that uh, um, expertise and support uh, for me. Uh, obviously, former bosses who've also taken a, a, a chance on me and given me opportunities to grow and, and test out something, make some mistakes, and did not be career limiting, right? So that you can learn and grow and 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 and, and do that. And and by that extension, then uh, certainly mentors, but the people and teams uh, that I've had. And, and have the privilege of leading. I've, I've learned so much from them and and have been incredibly appreciative of not just their encouragement, but their patience, right? And their and their willingness to, uh, uh, to I say, uh, Tom Atchison, uh, one of our ACT uh, uh, teachers uh, um, wrote a book, Followership, you know, subjugate their right to self-determination to, to follow, you know, my lead uh, um, because uh, for some reason I've been able to convince them that I could get them either farther or faster than they could get alone. So so that's been for me great. And that's what I say as advice to others who are interested in continuing to grow their career. Seize as many opportunities as you can to grow. Uh, take calculated risk. I think, you know, I'm a firm believer in no risk, no rewards, mm -hmm. but you can't be reckless. Um, mm -hmm. uh, learn as much from your mistakes and failures as you do your successes and stay mindful of your 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 value and the value you bring and continue to ensure that you're continuing to bring value and express thanks and appreciation uh, because none of us get to wherever we are uh, by ourselves. And yeah, I think you heard me. I was getting a little short of breath in your intro there with all the awards and, and accolades <laughs> that I was, I was listing off. And what do you, were there anything in there that, that maybe was your, is your proudest accomplishment or, or something of recognition that, that, that means the most to you? 
Oh, wow. So I, I, I dare not get myself in trouble uh, with this one. But I, I think the biggest thing for me to say is while the accolades uh, uh, may come to, to me because, you know, you have to, I guess, give it to somebody, um, uh, any acknowledgement uh, uh, where I just left off, any acknowledgement that I have received or honors that I've had to serve uh, uh, have been and continue to be attributable to teams behind me, the people who have been the wind beneath my wings mm. to say, look, we got your back you know, go forward. We believe in you. We believe this is important. Uh, you know, this has a uh, mutual benefit because I try to do things that, uh, um, you know, are, are, are more beneficial to others than they are for my, my myself. Uh, but I do acknowledge that, you know, the, the service, as I said, helps me uh, to grow and I get a lot back uh, from it too. So I wouldn't, I, I don't think I could cite any one thing. It'd be everyone is, is special and I cherish and value any, any, uh, acknowledgement that I've received. But again, it's really uh, thanks in large part to those who uh, I've, I've served alongside. So, And performing at that level, and this is just out of my curiosity, I think earlier you mentioned, you know, unchar- taking the battery off the charger and putting the batteries back on. What do you do personally to, to you know, relax, unwind, reset, hobbies? Anything? <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of, I, I, well, I have to be true to my word. Yes. Uh, but I had to, I've done a lot of, a lot more self-exploration in the last uh, probably two years, okay. but uh, certainly the last year than I, than I, than I have. And, and, and I'll be honest, uh, uh, Eric, I, a lot of that came from a big stumble in my, in my last role. I think I was uh, leading an organization, which I felt probably uh, very privileged to lead, uh, but uh, I perhaps lost a little bit of sight that that, that leadership wasn't uh, as much mine as I uh, perhaps thought it was. I, in fact, it was probably less mine than I thought it was. Uh, uh, and I had to acknowledge that there was some uh, value differences between uh, what I saw as the sort of right direction for the organization and others who had uh, an ability to shape that, uh, at, what, at which point I had to really come to terms with the fact that it wasn't uh, the right thing for me any longer. And, and, and trying to figure out then, you know, how not to have a situation where that uh, uh, appreciation of the variation is so cataclysmic because um, I'm sure there were probably yeah. signals all along. Uh, so it's been really uh, trying to, you know, really come uh, to terms with who am I and what do I want uh, uh, out of life and what's the impact I'd like to have and, and where the best um, uh, places and opportunities where my skills, values align with those of, uh, uh, of, of communities that I'm attempting uh, to serve. And, you know, the fact if they don't align, it's not an indictment of myself or, or them for that matter. It's just a misalignment and that's okay. Uh, so I think for me, it's been self, uh, uh exploration and, and really trying to uh, see how I leave the world a better place. Cause, uh, then I found it because I feel privileged in that regard. Uh, but, um, you know, not to be too, too overly cerebral. I like to relax too. And part of my relaxing, quite honestly, it'll be a little disappointing perhaps if I'm is doing absolutely nothing to just kind of like put on a pair of sweatpants and t-shirt and just like zone out because it's 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 my recharge right it's like okay just stop stop expending energy and let it recharge so there's that golf but sometimes that frustrates me because i'm not that good at it walking is really good i've learned that actually i've been surprised at you know how how much walking helps my physical fitness as much as i love to run uh uh it it uh it can be draining and i feel the the uh, endorphins and the runner's high. I love it. 
but the walking is a lot more sustainable and actually it helps. Uh, I, lo- I, I lost weight where I was like, I didn't think you could lose weight walking, but you can. <laughs> and then I would like remiss if I didn't say family too. Family is incredibly important to me. Uh, uh, you know, these are people who love you good, bad, or indifferent, uh, or at least I hope so. Uh, and so, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a girl dad, and my daughter is is um, the center of my universe, and and so watching her grow and become the the, the beautiful uh, person inside and out that she's uh, become, and trying not to mess her up has been a a, a really uh, huge uh, source of energy and occup- preoccupation for me as well. Well, that's fantastic, and I think a lot of our listeners absolutely resonate with the doing nothing. We 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 love that. We love doing nothing, and just don't address me for forty minutes, and I'll just sit here in my sweatpants, and that will recharge my batteries. Absolutely, right on. <laughs> uh, last thing before you go, uh, we did mention earlier. You know, you are ACHE's chair for twenty twenty three. So, what are the issues that you're committed to addressing to your term, and what are you most hopeful about uh, when it comes to the healthcare field? Yeah, so I really appreciate this question because it gives me a chance to really acknowledge. I, I, I for a long time, have had the privilege of serving on the ACHE board, and I've served on many boards, and uh, you learn when you're on this governance journey that, uh, you know, everything's a little bit different. And I often refer to it's such a mature board, um, uh, and not just in, you know, it's art, but our current board leaders. I think we are so fortunate to have all of them. Uh, but I've often referred to this as one of my high-performing boards, and I use the examples of some of our processes and uh, uh, activities and some of the work that we do uh, uh, to guide and inform uh, value that I bring to other boards uh, and my own board uh, in my organization. Uh, so, you know, my foremost responsibility as board chair is being the best board chair I can be, facilitating our board being as effective as it can be uh, in support of our leadership, uh, one another, and most importantly, our membership. Uh, and we have some real important strategies and imperatives that we're trying to drive. Uh, we frame them as being catalysts, connectors, and tr- trusted partners uh, for our members. Uh, we're trying to advance healthcare management excellence, obviously, always trying to do that. That's core to our, our, our mission. Uh, but in terms of specific issues that we are, or our areas of opportunities that we're focused on now, our, our quality journey has been a long um, journey that we've been on in terms of uh, uh, um, demonstrating effectiveness and stewardship and driving the quality agenda of our various organizations that our members lead and providing them the tools to be as effective as possible and their ability to do that. Uh, same in DEI, actually, what we talked about earlier. So ACHE, I think, uh, has deservingly so uh, been uh, acknowledged and sought, uh, looked at as one of the uh, leaders in helping to provide the advocacy and the tools and resources to advance DEI in the uh, healthcare management space. And we continue to do that and 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 really underscore uh, collaborations and partnerships with other in- uh, entities. So a lot of our affinity uh, groups like um, NASI and uh, NALI and our um, our internal groups like our uh, LGBTQ uh, community and forum, our Asian uh, leadership uh, uh, forum, uh, but also with the Institute for Diversity as well as uh, um, uh, AUPHA, the Association of University uh, Health uh, uh, Management Programs. Um, uh, we also uh, focus on on um, just helping our leaders uh, generally to uh, be uh, better uh, able to to lead their teams and organizations and to grow their own uh, professional journey as well and making sure that everybody uh, uh, has the access and tools and abilities to do that uh, through as customized an experience as possible and as curated 
an experience as possible for all of our leaders. And so our board is very committed to ensuring that we evolve our tools and resources throughout ACHA to meet the expectations, evolving expectations of our membership uh, so that we can grow and uh, grow them in, in the process. You've been listening to Del Vecchio Finley. He is the president of Atrium Health Navicent in Macon, Georgia, and the 2023 to 2024 ACHE chair. Uh, Del Vecchio, such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Eric. It's been great. All right. And thank you so much for listening. As always, we will catch you next time right here on the Healthcare Executive Podcast from ACHE. This has been the Healthcare Executive Podcast, brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or your podcasting app of choice. And for more information, find us online at ache.org.